Deuteronomy chapter 5 is where we will be this morning. Deuteronomy 5, you see that uh, the table is set for communion. We'll get to that after the sermon. It's always an interesting thing because communion sometimes falls on a day where uh, the, the passage just happens to be perfectly in line with communion. And sometimes it's planned that way. Sometimes it just works out that way. This is one of those days where uh, hopefully there'll be an interesting connection that you find uh, in this fifth commandment with the communion that we're going to take. Uh, we are to the fifth commandment. The first four commandments, uh, no other gods before me, no graven images, um, do not take the name of the Lord in vain and remember the Sabbath to keep it holy. Those commandments focus in pretty much completely on our relationship with God. But as we've seen, it has broader implications than just how we know God or how we relate to God. It has implications on how we live among people. In commandment number five, the, the focus starts to transition more toward that horizontal relationship, those relationships with people. But God isn't going anywhere. In fact, he is just as, if not more clearly seen in these remaining commandments as he is in the first few. And one of the great things about God's word is that everything he says points us back to him. Um, uh, so stand with me as we read Deuteronomy chapter 5, verse 16 is our focus this morning. Deuteronomy 5, 16. This is the word of God. And if you let it, it will change your life. Honor your father and your mother as the Lord your God commanded you that your days may be long and that it may go well with you in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. Pray with me. Father, help this to be true of us. Help us, teach us to honor father and mother. And ultimately, by doing so, to honor you. In Christ's name we pray, amen. You may be seated. I want to make a couple of general observations about the commandment, things that will help us as we start to ask our two main questions. What does this commandment reveal about God? And then what does it require of us? But to answer those, I first want to take a look at the commandment itself. Honor your father and your mother. Notice that this, first of all, is a positive command. Now, when I say a positive command, what I mean is that it's not a don't, it's a do. So a positive command would be do something rather than a negative command being don't do something. And most of the Ten Commandments are negative commands. Don't have any other gods. Don't take my name in vain. Don't murder. Don't commit adultery. Don't steal. Don't covet. They're stated in the negative sense. This one, along with the fourth, are the only two that are stated in a positive manner. This is something to do instead of something not to do, okay? I want you to notice that because the implications of the command are in part based on the fact that this isn't something, this isn't something that you just let happen. This is something that you gotta actively do. And that's the second thing I want you to notice. The word honor, this is the only commandment that's actually in the command form of a verb. All the rest are stated differently. You shall not. Kind of sounds like a command, but it's actually stated as a statement of fact. You're not going to do this. You're not going to do that. Have you ever told your kids, you're not going to act that way? You're commanding them, right? 
But you're not saying it as a command. You're saying it as a fact that this is not what's going to happen. This instead is what's going to happen. That's how most of the commandments are. In fact, even the fourth commandment, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy? That's a completely different kind of form of verb. It's not even a simple statement. That kind of form is one of those weird forms that kind of morphs and changes a little bit. This is the only one that's stated as a command. And not only is it a command, that word is in a form that is intensive. Some things you cannot do easily, haphazardly, without much effort. Those of you who have ever given birth, no, that is not a very light, casual experience. Whether it's a C-section or especially if it's a natural birth, that is an intensive activity. That's this form of word. Honor is an intensive command. It's something that we've actually got to do, and we've got to use our effort to do it. I want to make one other observation about the word honor. The word actually comes from a root that means to make heavy. So if you've ever said uh, that someone has a weighty argument or that you give weight to someone's opinion because they're wise or because you trust them or because they're close to you, that, that's what we mean. That's what this word kind of means. It, it means to make something heavy, weighty, to give it a lot of gravitas. Even that word gravitas related to gravity, right? So it's an idea we're familiar with. So when it says honor your father and your mother, this is something that's intensive, that's commanded, and it's something that we do by making their word, making them, making their personality heavy, weighty, giving it a lot of honor. That's what he's calling us to do. Notice also this command has some promises. In fact, there's two. That your days may be long and that it may go well with you in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. Now, is that individually true? Like everybody that does this command pretty much can expect that they will have long days and prosperity while they're on earth? As a general rule, yeah. Not always. Sometimes God's purpose for a specific individual is different. But by and large, if you're following God's ways, you're going to have a longer, better life. Is it true corporately for all the nation of Israel? Absolutely, because if the by and large the whole community of Israel was following God's command to honor their parents, we'll get to exactly what this means in just a minute, but if they're all doing it, their days will be long. God will extend the time of his people and not only extend it, but make it worthwhile. Deuteronomy chapter 4 reiterates these same promises but it's not just connected to this commandment. In Deuteronomy 4, look at what he says. He says, Therefore you shall keep his statutes and his commandments, which I command you today. In other words, keeping the whole law has these promises, that it may go well with you and with your children after you, and that you may prolong your days in the land that the Lord your God is giving you for all time. In other words, following God's law tends to result in good things happening. Good actions have good consequences. And we know this is true. We know, we know just intuitively that if you're doing the right things, you're going to get right results. That's exactly what he's promising here. When you are faithful to honor your parents, 
your mother and your father. And I think by extension, more than just mom and dad, we'll talk about that in a minute. When you're doing those things, you're setting yourself up in a position where God can bless you. Otherwise, you're putting yourself against God, and that's not a very good place to be. All right, now with that groundwork laid, let's look at our two questions. First, what does this commandment reveal about God? What do we see in the fifth commandment? What do we learn about God from this commandment? Well, very simple. The first thing I think is something that is so obvious, but yet is easy to overlook. God is our Father. The now, it doesn't, say, it doesn't say honor your father and your mother because God is your father. It doesn't say that there, does it? So where am I getting this? Well, I'm getting it from all over Scripture. Scripture is replete with the idea of God being father. And he's a good father, isn't he? That's why when Jesus prays the Lord's Prayer, he teaches his disciples to pray. The very first words he says is our father. Because recognizing the right relationship that we have with God, the relationship we ought to have with God, that puts us in a position to be able to understand what honoring mom and dad looks like. We know how to honor mom and dad as we know how to honor God. Romans. And it's not just something that, that, that okay, God's our father, so we have to honor him. And then we got to honor old man and mom just because he said we had to. No, it's something that having God as a father open us, opens us up to a whole eternity of God's blessings. Romans 8, 14. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. Do you see the blessing of God? You're a child of God, so you don't, you don't, you're not forced back into slavery to sin. You've been redeemed out of that. And now as God's child, you're adopted. So now we have a God that we can call to as Father, that we can relate with, that we can share He's not just some divine clockmaker that made the clock, set it into motion, and now doesn't care a lick about what it does now. That's not the biblical God. The biblical God is a father who loves his children and who is personally involved in their lives. So not only are we children of God, we know we're children of God because he is bearing witness of it. He says, yeah, that's my boy. One time I was in... Uh, Kung Fu as an eight or nine year old, something like that. And I was doing something and I did something really good. And my dad yelled out, that's my boy. A couple minutes later, I made a mistake and he said, who kid is that? <laughs> and of course, he was joking and everybody knew he was joking and I thought it was kind of funny too. But hearing that's my boy, that wasn't a joke. That, that, was, that was real pride. That's what God does with us. He says, that's my boy. Sometimes he looks around and says, oh, that's my kid. <laughs> but sometimes he says, that's my boy. He bears witness. And then look at verse 17. And if children, then heirs. Heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. If we're God's children, we're not just part of the family. We have an inheritance. 
See, there is such blessing from the fact that God is our Father. That relationship just makes life totally worth living. I don't know how people live without knowing God as Father. I don't. I don't understand it. I don't know how you can be anything close to happy without knowing God. I, I, I don't get it. The fifth commandment does more than just shows us that we have a relationship with God. It teaches us about that relationship through an earthly relationship. I believe that this commandment shows us that God has established the family as his primary instrument of authority. I believe that God has put the family as the primary way in which God exercises his authority. I mean, he's the creator of everything, right? That means he's the creator of authority too. Romans 13.1 says, Let every person be subject to the governing authorities. Look at the reason. For there is no authority except from, not from constitution, not from federal mandate, not from the courts, not from anybody else, not from some document that was written years and years and years and years and years ago. It comes from God. All authority comes from God. Mitchell, I need you to keep up with me, bud. So God is the author of all authority because he has the authority. The earth is the Lord's and everything that's in it, right? The authority is his too. Jesus says at the, uh, in giving the Great Commission, all authority on heaven and on earth has been given to me, therefore go make disciples. But the commission is based on the fact that he has all authority and all authority has been given to him by the Father. What's interesting about God, though, is he could just make everything happen the way he wants to. Instead, he calls us, he calls us to join in that authority. Notice something. Notice that, that God reveals himself through the family. When he describes himself as his authority over us, the way that he relates to us as he describes himself in those ways, he reveals himself. And what does he do? He, he often uses the language of family. But is the computer not working? Pull up Psalm 103.13 for me, please. Psalm 103.13. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. Did you catch it? As a father shows compassion to his children. Now, Men aren't always known as the most compassionate, okay? But a father who loves his son is compassionate. Proverbs 3, verse 12. For the Lord reproves him whom he loves as a father, the son in whom he delights. See, God doesn't just let us make mistakes. He reproves us. He corrects us. He shows us where we're going wrong and helps us learn how to do it right. Sometimes he disciplines us. Some of us know the discipline of God a little too well, don't we? Yeah. Not just fathers. Isaiah 49. But Zion said. Now, in this passage in Isaiah, uh, um, God is talking about all the good things that he's done for them, uh, but Israel is continuing to rebel against him, and so he is, he is having to punish them. He's having to discipline them, like a loving father disciplines his son. And then in verse 14, but Zion said, the Lord has forsaken me, my Lord has forgotten me. How many times have you felt that way? I felt that way. Verse 15. Can a woman, this is God's answer, can a woman forget her nursing child? 
that she should have no compassion on the son of her womb? Can you imagine a mother of a newborn baby just forgetting she even has a kid? It's unthinkable, isn't it? Even these may forget, yet I will not forget you. God say in his love, his compassion is so great that even when nursing mothers don't care about their kids, he'll still care about his. We live in a day where mothers sometimes don't care about their kids. I've not talked much. In fact, I haven't, I haven't talked at all in church about Roe v. Wade because I knew that next week we would hit the commandment, thou shalt not murder. But I think a word here is appropriate. Even in a day where women are willing to kill babies out of their womb, just in the womb, before they're even born, even in a day like that, God is still not forgetting his children. It is a travesty, the 60 million babies that have been aborted here under a false pretense of a constitutional right that isn't. We still got a lot more work to do, but we're at least headed in the right direction. Even, even when nursing mothers don't care about their children, God always cares for his. God reveals himself through family. Think, think, about, think, think about it. How many times have you read something about God in the scripture and said that? I remember when my mama used to do things like that. I could just picture, I could picture my dad doing something like that. How many times can you think back on your family and think, well, I realize a little bit better who God is because I've seen how he has used someone close to me. I've seen their character and I realize that that's part of who God is. And God might be infinitely greater and infinitely more of that, but still, at least I have an idea because of someone who's gone before me, a family member, a loved one, a wife or a husband. God reveals himself through family. And if we'll take the time to look, be amazed by what we find. God also exercises his dominion through the family. Deuteronomy 6, God commands parents what to do with their children, how to raise them in the covenant. He says, these words that I command you to... By the way, you know what the last thing he just said was? The Lord your God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. Then immediately thereafter, he says, and these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as fretlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. In other words, he says, don't stop teaching this. Every day, every day, every day. Constantly in the Passover, he says, you're going to do all these different things so that one day when your child asks you, why do we do all this? You can tell him this is what God's done for us. Uh, you set up this pillar of stones as a memorial to what God has done so that one day when you're walking by and your kid says, what are those stones there for? You can tell him this is what God did. You see, it's not just about doing the commands. It's about training the next generation to do the commands. And so there is a dominion that God exercises of parents leading children in the right way. And what, how do you reciprocate that as a child? 
What do you do? I mean, you can't teach your parents how to obey God, though some need to, because some kids know better than their parents in that case. But, but the way it's supposed to work, the parent is leading the child. So what does the child do? The child honors their parents. It's a way of reciprocating back and forth this covenant relationship so that they will learn not just how to obey mom and dad. That's not nearly as important as the main point, which is to teach them how to obey God. And that's the hard part. Because sometimes it's hard to obey God. Because what he asks of you just sounds weird. It doesn't make any sense. And sometimes what he asks of you is difficult. And it takes something that you know that you don't have the cojones to do. Sometimes God asks you to do something that it just, I don't even know how I can even begin. He asks you to love someone and you look at them and think they're not lovable. He asks you to honor someone and they're not honorable. He asks you, he asks you to do things that I just don't know that I can accomplish. That's the great thing about God. He, he doesn't leave you in your own power to do what only he and his power can do. Remember back in Romans? Remember what Paul said? All who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. You know what that means in part? That means he's going to guide you. He's going to equip you. He's going to give you the love that you don't have for that unlovable person because he does have it. They're not unlovable, not to God. He's going to give you that ability to deal with those, those folks that, that really you'd rather not deal with because he loves them and he knows that they need him. That's why they are the way they are because they need him. He's going to do that. He's going to exercise his authority in you. And so, so children are honoring the parents as parents are leading the children. And now the next generation is carrying on the covenant faithfulness that God has demanded. Otherwise, it's a whole lot harder to make it happen. Truett Cathy once said, it's easier to build boys than to mend men. And boy, is that right. It's a whole lot easier to start in the beginning when they're young and train them up in the way they should go. It's not to say God can't redeem someone who, is, who has long been on that track and then an older age finally turns to him. God can redeem that person. But it's a whole lot harder to get it right when you start late. It's kind of like investing. The earlier you start, the better off you'll be. Same way here. That, by the way, is why in Deuteronomy 21, it calls for the stoning of a kid who dishonors his parents. It's not because... We're just going to have a really bad uh, uh, punishment so that people won't do that. It's so that we will continue to uphold the covenant. Now, I don't think a disobedient kid should be stoned. I don't think that's appropriate for our, for, for our culture. But I do think it is appropriate for us to hold our kids accountable when they're wrong because God will hold them accountable. And if we can take a child who's erring and set them right, and we will save them a lot of heartache down the road. I believe firmly that God established the family first to be the basis of every form of authority. And if that's the case, then that means that mom and dad have to be highly regarded. And you say, what, what about I, my mom and dad are gone? We'll talk about how to honor them when they're gone. You say, well, my family, my mom and dad, they, they weren't Christians and they're terrible folks. And 
I don't know that I can honor them. Like I said, God will give you the ability to do that. And to honor them may not necessarily mean to obey them every single time. But that's the exception and not the rule. What does it require of us? What what does this commandment actually require of us to do? First requirement, our ultimate loyalty belongs exclusively to God. Our ultimate loyalty belongs exclusively to God. But we must honor godly authorities. Remember the first commandment? What's the first commandment? You shall have no other gods before me, right? Very simple. He doesn't have to elaborate on that. He doesn't have to go into long diatribes of what how, how what these words mean and, and what gods are and how. He doesn't have to do that. He just says very simply, you're not going to have them. We owe our ultimate loyalty to God alone. That means our ultimate loyalty doesn't go to an emperor or king or president or any form of government. Our ultimate loyalty doesn't go to our family. It doesn't go to our job. It doesn't go to ourselves. Oh boy, does it not go to ourselves. Our ultimate loyalty only belongs to God and to God alone. That means that no matter what happens, we are always responsible for honoring God. No matter what anybody else may say or try to make us do, we are always, always responsible to honor God. Provided that we're doing that, there's also honor due to authority. Now, I put in here godly authority. What I don't mean is that the the authority has to be a godly person so much as that it's the authority exercised within the realm that God has given it. Matthew chapter 10. Jesus says, here's how much God is to take precedence. Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. If your family is taking precedence over God, they are too high. No other gods before me. What does it look like when we're doing both? When we're honoring family in its rightful place, but honoring God ultimately. What does that look like? Well, Jesus actually shows us. In Luke chapter 2, they they go to Jerusalem to celebrate a feast. Jesus is 13 years old. And then they start on the way back. And Mary's uh, a a day or two in. Mary looks at Joseph and says, where's Jesus? Joseph says, I thought you had him. And Mary says, I thought you had him. And they start looking around family and nobody's got him. I thought he was with y'all. No, he's, he's not with you. Where is he? Oh, Lord, we've lost Jesus. They go back to Jerusalem and they start looking around. And third day of looking, they finally find him. They find him in the temple. And he's sitting there asking questions of the temple leaders, of the rabbis in the temple. And they are just astounded. This boy is asking incredible questions. And when he's answering questions, when they're asking questions, he's answering them, and they are amazed at his answers. Like, how does a 13-year-old know all this? And Mary says, what are you, how could you do this to us? Your father and I have been worried sick. This is my paraphrase. Verse 49, he said to them, why were you looking for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? Now there is here, there is here a rebuke. My father wasn't worried about me. I've been in his house the whole time. But do you notice that Jesus doesn't scold? Do you notice that he doesn't, he doesn't say, what are you thinking? He doesn't call them names. He doesn't disrespect them. He just says, why are you looking for me? 
Don't you know that this is the place I belong? It's an honorable rebuke from a child. Honorable because he's treating them with honor. But the ultimate honor is going to God. Then in verse 51, verse 50, they're, they're astounded by it. And then verse 51, and he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was submissive to them. See, when, that, when godly authority, when ec- authority is being exercised according to God's will and design for it, Jesus submits. But when it's time to honor God, and that doesn't perfectly line up with honoring parents, he honors God without dishonoring parents. He shows us how to do both. Acts 5. The apostles are standing before religious leaders and they are scolding the apostles because you keep preaching in this man Jesus' name and they say, we must obey God rather than men. Are they dishonoring the authority that these religious leaders have? No, but they're honoring God. We're not going to obey you. We have no reason to answer you in this matter. King, those three Hebrew boys say to Nebuchadnezzar, when they don't bow to the image that he has commanded them to bow to, then what do they say? They say, we're not going to worship your gods. Appreciate the offer. Thanks. But no, we only worship the true God. Our ultimate loyalty belongs only to God. Someone said obedience to tyrants is disobedience to God. Disobedience to tyrants is obedience to God. We cannot allow ourselves to get so caught up in honoring this authority that we dishonor God in the process. But we also can't be so focused on honoring God that we shove aside all earthly authority as though we're only going to obey God because God has instituted authority among men and especially in the family. And unless there is a direct contradiction, we should be honoring both. When there is a contradiction, then there's only one we must follow. So now the question comes, all right, we've talked a lot about honoring our parents. How do we actually do that? How do we honor our parents? And by extension, other authorities as well. First, we honor our parents by how we interact with them. Leviticus 19 sets a couple of practical ways. Look at what it says. You shall stand up before the gray head and honor the face of an old man. How you interact with someone can show honor. How do you treat them? It used to be that when uh, a woman would, would come to a table, the man would stand up, showing honor. When someone older is talking, someone younger listens. That shows honor. In fact, Job 32, Elihu is this young guy, and he's been listening to Job and these three friends, or friends, <laughs> They don't look like friends in the book of Job. But anyway, these three guys are all talking with Job and they're, they're back and forth and arguing and, and, and setting out their cases of how Job should repent of his sin and Job is arguing back that he hasn't sinned. And, and back and forth this goes. And then finally in chapter 32, Elihu stands up and basically says, I didn't want to speak because all of you are older than me. And I wanted to listen because age should give wisdom. So I listened. That's showing honor. Now, regardless of whether you agree with what he says or not, all of that doesn't matter. I'm just, my point is, he's showing honor by the way that he's interacting with them. A lot, you go a long way just by simple acts of respect. Looking someone in the eye when they're talking to you. Sitting up straight and facing them. Deferring to their wisdom. 
you know, I, I don't, I'm not sure. I don't think that's right, but I'm going to trust you because I know you're, you're older than me, you're wiser than me. You've seen things that I haven't seen. Being, being teachable is the way you honor. Anybody know it all other than me? No, we don't, do we? My dad has gotten so much smarter in the last 15 years. I just want you all to know. I, I'm really proud of him. Before I got married, he was, he was, he, he was a box of rocks kind of dumb. Now, now he's getting a lot smarter. I, I got to hand it to him. He's, he's not getting any smarter, is he? It's me that's getting smarter because I'm learning he was right all along. When we give our parents respect, when we defer to their wisdom, when we allow them to instruct us, when we disagree but we don't disdain them in the process, that puts us in a position to receive the blessings of God, to allow him to reveal truth to us, to be shaped and molded in the way that we need to be. We learn best when we're willing to learn. We honor our parents not only by how we interact with them, we honor them by how we care for them. Matthew chapter 15. The hypocrites are complaining that Jesus isn't keeping the traditions of men. So Jesus responds, well, how come you don't keep the commandment of God? Why do you break the commandment of God for the sake of your tradition? And here's what he quotes. For God commanded, honor your father and your mother, and whoever reviles father or mother must surely die. The first is the command, right? The fifth commandment. The second is a summary of several different laws throughout the Old Testament. That basically, when you are reviling your father and your mother, that kind of stuff can't stand. And we quoted one earlier in Deuteronomy 21. But you say. See, this is what God has said. But you say. If anyone tells his father or his mother, what you would have gained from me is given to God, he need not honor his father. This is a practice called Corbin. You had a responsibility to take care of your parents. They're getting older. They're not economically independent anymore. They need income. They need assistance to live. So you have the responsibility to take care of them. That's a societal thing. That's something that all Near, Near Eastern societies had and still have. To a large extent, many cultures around the world stress that responsibility. But then you say, well, I was going to take care of you with this money, but I, I, I have to give that to God. So you can't have it. Now, of course, you didn't actually have to give it to God. You just claimed you were going to give it to God. That would be enough to break the fifth commandment. Now, that seems kind of ridiculous, doesn't it? That seems, that seems you no good two-timing. <laughs> like, like that, seems, that seems like a crooked thing to do. And it is a crooked thing to do. And Jesus calls them out on it. He says, for the sake of your tradition, you have made void the word of God. You don't have the option to not care for your parents just because you're going to have some sort of oath or some sort of promise that you have to keep on the side. You can't use God as an excuse not to care for your parents. That's what he tells them. Paul also instructs uh, Timothy. Skip to verse 8, Mitchell. He's talking about widows and, and how widows should be cared for by the church, but that, that if widows have children or grandchildren, that they need to learn godliness by taking care of them themselves. Then in verse 8, he summarizes, but if anyone does not provide for his relatives, and especially for members of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. We have a duty, a responsibility to care for those who have cared for us. Your mama probably told you when you were a kid, I brought you in this world, I can take you out. 
She probably stressed the number of times that she cooked and cleaned and, and, and worked for you. She wiped your filthy bottom. She took care of you, nurtured you, gave you food to eat, a place to live. All these things that mom and dad do for us when we are small and completely dependent on them. And as we grow up and we become more and more and more independent, the very least that we can do is love them enough that we care for them when they need it. That's the very least we can do. To serve those who have served us well. Even if they didn't serve us well. Even if they neglected us and didn't treat us very good and we came out okay because of God's grace, how much more so should we serve them as an act of grace to someone who needs it? We honor our parents by how we care for them. We honor our parents by how we follow them. If you've had godly parents, you know that they have set a course on a righteous path. Nothing makes them happier than to see their kids walking that path. I can think of some dear church members who have died and gone. And to look at their families following in God's, following God's ways because of the impact of their parents. That is a blessing to your mom and dad's heart that you cannot express until you see your own kids doing the same. Romans 13, 7. No matter what the authority is, we should give them what they're due. Pay to all what is owed to them. Taxes to whom taxes are owed. Revenue to whom revenue is owed. Respect to whom respect is owed. Honor to whom honor is owed. They deserve our honor just by being mom and dad. And while we have to give total allegiance to God alone, that doesn't mean that we shouldn't have some allegiance left over for mom and dad or for any rightful authority. That's why Paul tells children in Ephesians 6.1, Obey your parents in the Lord. It's not when your parents are in the Lord that you have to obey them. It's you obeying them in the Lord. For this, he says, is right. I said at the beginning, God is our Father. And one of the things this communion recognizes is that there is a relationship between us and God. And it's by his choice. As Paul said, we have the adoption as sons. We're not automatically God's kids because we're of a certain race. We're not automatically God's children because we're just so awesome and God wants to claim us. We're not automatically God's kids because mama is a child of God or daddy is a child of God and so we inherited that. No, we're God's children because he has chosen to redeem us from sin and death and made us his sons. He has adopted us. And so as we take communion this morning, I'm going to invite you to recognize that God is your father. I'm going to invite you to consider once again how good of a father this is that would give the only begotten son that he may adopt many sons and daughters. Oh, how great is the love that the father has lavished upon us that we should be called sons and daughters of God and so we are. God gave up so much to have you as a child. Honor him. Honor your earthly parents too. If they're not still here, honor their memory. Father, your work is so great that, that words don't even, words just fail me. I can't, I can't describe your goodness. Father, I know this though, and, and as we approach this communion, there, there is a calling on us 
to recognize your goodness, your fatherness. You've called us through family to recognize that you ultimately are our father. And while our families may not be perfect representations of who you are, they still help us. We are so thankful for your gifts, especially the gift of your son. But even today, as we focus on the gift of your families, moms and dads raising sons and daughters to love you, Father, we recognize that this is part of your grace, and we are so grateful for it. Turn our hearts toward you in this communion. Forgive the sins that so easily beset us. Forgive us where we fail you. Cast away our sins as far as the east is from the west. Show compassion on your children as we turn our hearts to you. In Christ's name, we pray these things. Amen.